Welcome to episode 184 of the first 40 miles. If you're new to backpacking, or if you're hopelessly in love with someone who wants you to love backpacking, then this podcast is for you. We'll talk about the essentials, how to lighten your load, and how to make the most of your time on the trail. I'm your host, Heather Legler. And I'm Josh Legler. And this is The First 40 Miles. Today on The First 40 Miles, after a long, glorious day of hiking, you arrive into camp and you can relax. Almost. We'll share a few things you'll need to do first that will make it so you can truly kick back and relax. Then, we've discovered a tool that not only helps with minor trail clearing, but also earns its weight when it comes time to build a long-burning campfire. For today's hack, not all putts drop. And when they don't, you need to make sure you clean them up. We'll show you how. All this and that's about it. Today on the first 40 miles. I'm excited because we are recording this episode today on a Friday, and we are about two hours away from heading out on a backpacking trip. Yay! (laughs) This is one that we've been looking forward to because we're going out with some friends and their kids and our kids, and it's just going to be so much fun to have everyone all together. I'm looking forward to the campfire time. We're bringing some games along with us. I'm looking forward to the food, even though some of that is going to be a mystery because I haven't purchased it yet. And I haven't packed yet. (laughs) So this is kind of a, uh, just a a comfortable trip for us. It's going to be fun, but maybe a little bit, uh, Well, it's a first-time trip for our friends. Right. I was going to say, maybe a little bit uncomfortable for them. I don't know. They seemed like they were were doing okay. And we met with them last week, and they seemed confident. You know, we connected and kind of walked through the plan. They seem like they're ready to go. I think they're really excited for this trip. So two hours away, we just got (laughs) to record this episode. And then we've got to pack. <laughs> well, I've got to pack and, and we've got to put together the food and then we're on our way. Well, you know, the things that we do on this trip with them may set the stage for what they will do when they go out on their own. And so I'm kind of feeling the pressure, like <laughs> I have to make sure that I'm not sloppy on this trip that, you know, when I come into camp, I get things set up and then, you know, I can relax and play and you know, whatever. But uh, yeah, we've got to kind of set the stage for them to have success on future trips. Yeah. So today we're going to talk about all that process of setting up camp because that's a big part of a backpacking trip. Uh, But first, Heather, how would you answer the question, do you hike to camp or do you camp to hike? There's no right or wrong answer for this question, (laughs) but I am a hike to camp person. When I hike, I feel that drive to set up camp somewhere, and I really enjoy just staying in camp. I'm such a homebody, so I really enjoy just kind of the uh, the nesting instinct, the art of hunkering down, whatever you want to call it. I like setting up camp. Making that uh, quote-unquote home in the forest. Right. I think I'm a hike-to-hike type of guy. That wasn't one of the options. Not fair. (laughs) Sorry. But when we get to camp, the first thing I do is I take off hiking (laughs) to go explore everything around the camp. So for me, it's about, and now I know where our camp is, 
And I want to know what's around our camp. Where's the water? Where's a great place to go to the bathroom? <laughs> but what are the, the different trees and plants that are around our camp? Is there a great hilltop or mountaintop nearby that I can summit? So, yep, I dropped my pack and, and then I just head right back out of camp again. That's exploring. so true. Where did Josh go? I don't know. Well, you always find time to help us set up. So I appreciate that. But you are definitely a hike to hike guy. <laughs> I love that. Well, back to our friends. We're going to get into camp. And the first thing all the kids are going to want to do is probably do what you do, Josh. <laughs> just take off and go see what's out there and explore and just have fun. But this is our opportunity as kind of mentors, I guess, um, to help everyone kind of hit those camp chores and get them done so then we can go play and hike to hike or whatever <laughs> everyone wants to do. So for today's top five list, it's the top five things you need to do when you get into camp. And we'll start with the fun one first, because you, you got to have a little bit of play before you work, just, just a little bit. But the number one thing you need to do when you get into camp is to stop. You're done hiking. Take off your pack. Take a deep breath. Roll your shoulders stretch, and just think back on the day. This might also be a good time to take off your hiking shoes. And if you didn't bring camp shoes, then at least untie your hiking shoes, loosen the laces, and then tuck the shoelace ends into your shoes. That'll just kind of help your feet get more ventilation and make a little bit more room for your feet because they're probably kind of swollen. I don't know how many times I've seen you when we, we come into camp and your backpack has become such a natural part of you. You've you've been used to it all day that uh, you don't even bother to take it off. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're walking around camp uh, getting, well, maybe by the time you get dinner ready, you take it off because you need something out of it. But uh, and, and that's happened to me as well, because uh, it's funny how you put that pack on and you go, oh, that's kind of heavy. And then after you hike with it all day, it just becomes a part of you and you kind of forget what life is like without it. And it just stays on. But when you get to camp, that's one of the beautiful things about getting to camp is that you can shed that weight. And how do you describe that feeling that you get when you <laughs> drop your pack and you put on really lightweight camp shoes? Uh, I'm usually wearing lightweight shoes the whole time, but what's, what's that feeling that you that get? That weightless feeling or like you feel like you could run really fast. It's like you have superhuman powers. Yeah, it's really cool. It's a really cool feeling. So getting into camp and just shedding the weight and uh, doing some stretching and breathing, recognizing that it's time to stop. It gives you a little bit of transition time there so that you're ready to jump into the other things that you need to do when you get into camp. The number two thing you need to do, <laughs> this is not a pun, but the number two thing you need to do when you get into camp <laughs> is go to the bathroom, find kind of a secluded area. And then after you use the bathroom, since it is the end of the day, be sure to wash your hands with soap and water. And this is important because you'll be eating dinner soon. And even if you don't need to use the bathroom immediately upon arriving to camp, it's a good idea to find that bathroom. It's out there somewhere. The perfect tree, the perfect rock, whatever. It'll be your little uh, oasis. And it's nice to find it now and then 
you know where to go when nature does call and you're not scrambling at the last minute to say, oh, well, oh, no, this is, I thought I could go over here, but I never really checked it out. And it turns out there's another campsite over there. Or I thought I could go this way, but I didn't notice there's a stream over there. So get it all figured out right when you get to camp. And then when you need it, you know where to go. The number three thing you need to do when you get into camp is get water. Usually established campsites, even in remote wilderness areas, are strategically placed near water. Not always, but mostly. In camp, you'll need lots of water for lots of things. So now is the time to go harvest some water. Um, You'll use it to replenish your drinking water, which is probably pretty low by now. You'll use water for meal preparation. Usually it's about two cups per meal, maybe more if you're eating more. You may want water for personal hygiene or for laundry, and maybe a little bit extra for rinsing out your pot or cup after dinner. So there are lots of reasons to go collect water now because you'll be using a lot of water in camp. When I look at my water consumption throughout the day, I can easily get by on two liters of water from breakfast till dinner time as I hike through the day, you know, unless it's really hot and dry. And so I come into camp and I may be near the end of my two liters. Uh, It's a great time then before dinner to uh, replenish the water and be full again. But then within the course of an hour, making and eating dinner, I can empty both of those two liter bottles just at mealtime. The number four thing you need to do when you get into camp is get your shelter set up. Your shelter, whether you're using a tent or a hammock or even just a tarp, will be much easier to set up when it's still light outside and it's hours from bedtime. This is the trickiest one of all because when you get into camp, you really do just kind of want to rest and relax and you look at your watch and you're like, oh, it's only 3.30. The sun doesn't set till like, what, 8.39? So you think you have like all this time, but you don't. The sun sets so fast. I mean, it really takes you by surprise in camp sometimes. I don't know where the time goes, but time goes by fast when you're backpacking. It really does. It's quite amazing. And I try to help our kids to learn this because I've kind of practiced it over the years that hey, I get to camp. One of the first things I'm going to do is make sure my tent is up, my pad is inflated, my sleeping bag is expanding uh, from being in a compression sack. It's uh, lofting, I guess is the word, right? And puffing up and, and it's going to be nice and comfortable at night. And the kids, meanwhile, are just running around having a good time or or building the fire. They love that. But I start, I, I sort of watch the arc of the sun as it gets lower and lower in the sky. And I watch our kids' packs and nothing has come (laughs) out of those packs yet. There's no tents up. There's no hammocks up, no rain fly. And uh, sometimes I say something, okay, guys, time to hang your hammocks. Otherwise, you're going to have to do it in the dark with your flashlights. And it gets a lot harder. Uh, And then other times I don't say much. And, (laughs) you know, it's those times that I usually end up in the dark helping them get that rain fly way up high above their heads. So I guess it's to my advantage to remind them to set up their tent or hammocks. And the number five thing you need to do when you get into camp is meal prep. This means setting up your little mini kitchen with your stove, your pot, your food, your water. Make sure it's far away from your tent so there's no fire risk or Um, you know, smells that will linger in that area. Now is also a great time to look for a tree that has a branch where you can hang your food. 
We usually just find one not too far from camp, and Josh is the one who hangs our food. I don't think I've ever hung food before. Yeah, maybe it's always been me. I think it has been. And, and you know, when I put that off until after dark, uh, I mean, often I'm hanging the food after dark because we're roasting marshmallows or eating s'mores around the campfire. And then right before we go to bed, everyone's had their last opportunity to eat something. Everything goes into the food bag and we hang it. But when I wait until after dark to locate our food hanging spot, oh man, that is so hard because you, you lose a lot of depth perception in the dark. You're shining a flashlight or a headlamp up into the trees and trying to tell is that branch big enough to hold our food and is it high enough off the ground and do i have a way of getting my line over the branch and where do i tie off the line that just becomes so much harder when it's dark out so i, I like to make sure that i find that food hanging area early on while it's light and then come back and use it when i'm ready but at least i know where it's going to be i feel like we need to have a food hanging episode because there are some major gaps still in my backpacking knowledge, and you just helped me locate one of them. Oh, okay. Yeah, that would be a great topic. Yeah, because there are different things that you can do. I know you can tie a rope to a rock and throw the rock and then make sure it doesn't hit you in the face and then <laughs> <laughs> use it as a, well, I don't know what it is. But anyway. Yeah, you're trying to get your food to be out of reach for a bear, which means it also has to be out of reach for you. So you can't just put it up there because it would be within reach. So you have to find ways of getting it high enough to where you can't reach it. Therefore, a bear cannot reach it. In the past, we've talked about using like a stainless steel mesh bag. So if you don't want to hang your food in a tree, like say you're not in bear country, you're just in squirrel country, um, there are rodent-proof stainless steel mesh bags that you can just stuff all your food in and put it next to a tree somewhere and it'll be safe. After you've done the work, then you can play. And I can tell you what our family's first priority is after we've set up camp, and that is to build a fire. And if we're not building a fire, then we're out hunting for wood. So that's kind of what takes up a lot of time. Maybe that's what we do over the six hours before the sun goes down. <laughs> Building a fire and hunting for wood. It's so primal, but it's so much fun. It's great. And when we get to our backpacking spot this evening, let's watch and see what's the first thing that our kids do. I bet they're going to be right around that fire ring. But it'll yep. be interesting. They'll have <laughs> friends with them this time. So if it was just our family, I could pretty much be 100% confident that the first thing our boys would do in camp is uh, start working on the fire. Uh, they're going to have friends with them this time. So I don't know. They might go exploring. They might want to show them around. Uh, hey, check out this spot that we know about. Or I, I don't know. But I'd say there's a pretty high chance that Fire is number one on their list, so I guess it's our job to move fire down to number six on their list. Exactly. Make sure they get the work done first and then play. And I don't know if maybe different people have different personalities, but I know that for myself, I don't relax well unless I know my work is done. And so for me, getting into camp, I love getting these certain things done first. Taking off my pack and just taking that big, deep breath, finding the bathroom, finding the water source, getting ready to prep my food for dinner, and getting my shelter set up. Once I have those in place, then I know I can relax. The rest of the evening, if I want to just sit and do nothing, I can do that. 
For today's Summit Gear Review, the Svensaw. I know I'm supposed to start this part of the show talking about structure and then utility, then mass, maintenance, investment, trial, but I really just want to say how much I love saws. Saws are so great. They're useful and these saws get stuff done. We took these out to our family backpacking spot to do a little bit of trail clearing and I know that's supposed to go in the trial section, but I'm seriously so excited because I had so much fun sawing trees. These were ones that had fallen over over the winter and were blocking the trail. But um, yeah, we took out these saws along with a hatchet um, and a pocket chainsaw and we cleared that trail. We did major work and we were so proud of ourselves. Okay, now that I've gotten that out of my system, <laughs> Now we can go on with the review. Okay. These saws are backpackable, collapsible bow saws. So in any local store, like hardware store, you can probably find a regular bow saw. They uh, have, of course, a blade that is uh, maybe, what, about three quarters of an inch from edge to edge. Uh, it has some fairly coarse teeth, so they're really good at cutting through wood quickly, making a, a rough, quick cut. And then the handle of the saw is like a bow. Uh, you think of bow and arrow, where you've got the string and the bow. That's what it looks like. The string is a blade, not a string, and the handle is in a bow shape. So the Sven saw is a bow saw, but it's collapsible. That handle collapses down, the blade fits right inside of that collapsed down handle, and so when you're not using it, it's basically a stick. And it's perfectly safe to put inside of your pack. You're not going to have the blade coming out and slicing through anything or have any first aid issues. It's safe and it is extremely effective. The blade is made with Swedish steel and then the frame is made of anodized high strength aluminum alloy. As Josh was saying, the, the saw comes apart and so there's a wing nut that kind of holds it in place on one end and you unscrew that wing nut and you take the blade out of the handle. Once you pull the blade out of the handle, you can attach the handle and the blade to the, the crossbar, I guess you would call it the hypotenuse. No, the blade is the, the blade, hypotenuse. That's right, the blade is the hypotenuse. It's the longest part on this saw. So anyway, it's a triangular saw. It ends up being a right triangle, I believe. Yeah, a little uh, geometry practice here. Uh, it does form a right triangle. A squared plus B squared equals C squared. A is the shortest side of the triangle, and it's the handle that you grab onto while you're sawing. B is the next longest side that's a, at a right angle to A, and it is the, I don't know, whatever you call that. Kind of the bow part that goes yeah. over the blade. Right. And then C of course, is the blade and connects back between A and B. One thing that's interesting to me is A, the handle, extends below the blade. So when you grab onto the handle, you have the ability to actually grab onto it with two hands, one hand above the blade and one hand below the blade. You can get a lot of stability and strength out of that. Well, it sounds like you use it a little bit different than I use it. I actually put one hand on the handle, and then I put my other hand for stability on the uh, that crossbar, the, the B, yeah, the uh -huh. crossbar that goes across the blade. And because of the way that the teeth are on this blade, it is incredibly fast at ripping through logs. The teeth are offset, so that means some tilt to the left, some tilt to the right, and then the tooth on the blade is pretty aggressive. 
The important thing about those offset teeth and having a, a wider offset on the teeth is that they cut a wider groove through the wood. And that means you're less likely to run into a spot where the wood pinches the blade of the saw and you get stuck. Now, if you're sawing through a piece of wood from top to bottom that is suspended in air between the two ends, it's naturally going to sag downward and it's going to pinch even this saw. What you need to do in that case is saw from the bottom up, which can be a little awkward, or you have to somehow reposition the wood so that that pressure is not there. But if there's just a little bit of pressure, some very, very fine saws, maybe woodworking saws, would have a much smaller offset on the teeth. And even as you're sawing, even if the wood isn't really sagging much, it may just swell a little from the water that's in the wood, and that can be enough to bind the saw. So this saw is a lot less likely to bind because of that nice wide offset on the teeth. For mass, we weighed both the 15-inch and the 21-inch Sven saw, and they both came in significantly lighter than the weight that was listed on the website. So that was really cool. So on the website, it says the 15 inch is 15 ounces, but it came in for us at 11 ounces. The 21 inch says it weighs a little bit over a pound, but when we weighed it, it was only 13.7 ounces. So these really are saws that are lightweight. They're meant to be backpackable. For maintenance, keep your blade clean and dry and it should last for years. I know some people like to oil their blade, so that's one way to prevent it from rusting. And I think the biggest thing you can do to keep your blade sharp is to make sure it doesn't get into the dirt. So take a moment, if, if you're going to cut through a log that is resting on dirt, take a moment to see if you can prop it up a little bit or maybe uh, dig out the dirt a little bit below the log. Make sure that the bark on the outside of the log doesn't have dirt or, or sand in it. Just some simple things you can do there that really extend the life of the blade. For investment, both of these saws are in the $40 range, and that depends on which retailer you purchase it from. You actually can't buy these from the Sven Saw website, so you'll have to find somewhere else online to purchase it. For trial, every winter trees fall down on the trail and you end up with a trail that's blocked in a lot of places, which is not too big of a deal. We can always hop a log. But it's really cool to be able to help with trail clearing. And um, sometimes even when trees fall, you have these branches that are sticking up everywhere. And one of the things that you can do to help before the trail crews come in is to hack those branches off. Not leave stobs sticking up, but cut it all the way down to the tree and make sure that the trail remains passable, even though people may have to walk over a large fallen tree. We took the Sven saws out with our family and cleared about 1.25 miles of trail in about four to six hours, roughly, with all of us there. And this is about three years worth of fallen trees that were on the trail. I had no idea before I used a saw how much fun it was going to be. And yeah, I've used a saw before. Okay, yes, I have used a saw. But out backpacking... No. In fact, the thought hadn't even crossed my mind until I started doing some research for another episode that we're going to be doing really soon about trail service and what backpackers can do when they're out on the trail. So having a saw that you can pack with you, yeah, it's not a necessity and it's not something that you're going to bring on every trip. But if you have a favorite trail that you like to hike on and there are a lot of fallen trees, this is a great thing to bring with you if you wanted to do some trail service and make sure the trail remains passable. 
And a lot of times it can take a long time for trail crews to come in and get those trails cleared because they have hundreds and hundreds of miles of trail to maintain. And sometimes it can take a long time to get an organized trail crew out on a trail. So if you love backpacking and you love hiking on the trail, oh, just wait until you get into trail work. It is so much fun. And there's something really, just really rewarding about it. Out in the woods, improving the trail, getting those trees out of the way. It, it was new to you, but it's what I grew up doing. I lived on five acres and we built trails through the back four. And I just loved that stuff. Go out there with a saw and, and cut back a, a tree that had fallen down. And, and all the other stuff, uh, shoveling and raking and getting the trail smoothed out and creating ways for the water to uh, run off correctly. But that cutting trees, <laughs> it's just something about it. Especially when you can look back over that mile that you covered and say, wow, look, we cleared all of that. It's a better trail now. And one thing I do want to add, and I will reiterate this in the episode that we have about trail work. You cannot create your own trails using the saws. You can't redirect trails and you can't cut down living trees. But if there is a tree in your path and um, you feel like you can safely remove a chunk of tree so that the trail can continue, I think this is a great tool for helping to make the trail a better place. Also, one more thing, trees are incredibly heavy. So if there is a tree that's suspended and you are thinking you're going to cut it, watch out because it could fall and smash your foot and it could be hundreds of pounds that are falling on your foot. So uh, be super careful when you're cutting trees or doing any kind of minor trail work. So when we took our Sven saws out to clear the trail to our family backpacking spot the other week, they worked really well. Uh, first of all, so easy to pack because they're just kind of like a tube when they're all collapsed down. The blade is completely protected and enclosed, so there's no risk of the teeth catching on my backpack and that kind of stuff. And then when we got to those first logs that we wanted to cut that were across the trail, we pulled them out of our packs and just a matter of seconds really to expand the saw out, tighten down that one wing nut that holds it all together and start sawing. The cut was so good. Uh, they just ripped through those six inch logs. Uh, lots of fun, really rewarding to see that progress. The one thing I would mention to be aware of is because it's a bow saw style, it is limited in the thickness of wood that you can cut through because eventually the top of your bow is bumping against the top of the wood that you started cutting through. And so a six inch log, that's great. A log that's a foot in diameter, you're not gonna be able to cut through it with a Sven saw because the, the bow of the saw is gonna bump up against the wood before your blade has made it all the way through. Uh, maybe you can go six inches in from the top and well, we have a solution for this. We have another saw we're going to recommend oh, yeah, yeah. for larger <laughs> logs. Another benefit of having a saw with you on the trail is you're able to cut some pretty significant firewood, which last time we went up to our family backpacking spot, we cut a little cache of wood that we're going to use when we go out tonight. Again, these are all downed trees that have been dead for a while. They're all kind of dried out. Well, 
as dry as they can be in an Oregon winter or right after an Oregon winter. But oftentimes when you're trying to keep a fire going, you end up gathering all these sticks and you basically you scour the forest around your campsite for all these sticks and you sort of denude the forest of that size of stick. Like there's nothing left. And so I think there's an advantage when you can get just a log and cut a few pieces for your campfire and you don't have to go around using up all of the sticks in the forest. So we'll have the link for the Sven saws in today's show notes and you can find those at thefirst40miles.com slash 184. For today's backpack hack of the week, an after-the-fact cat hole. Cat holes are an important part of Leave No Trace in the backcountry, but sometimes nature calls before you're ready to answer, which is why today we're talking about the after-the-fact cat hole. When you go to the bathroom, it's really important that solids are buried in a hole to prevent the spread of disease. But for whatever reason, if you're not able to dig that hole in time, you can always dig one after the fact. And this means you'll need to dig a proper cat hole next to your pile and be careful not to let your trowel touch the pile. The cat hole needs to be six to eight inches deep and four to six inches across. So big enough for a Nalgene water bottle to fit into. Then using a stick, transfer the waste into the hole and cover it up. And if your pile was, shall we say explosive or leaky, like it's harder to transfer the solids into the cat hole, then do your best to get what you can into the cat hole and then cover that other spot with a pile of dirt. Just make sure that everything is covered as much as you can. And just as a nice parting gift, whatever, to the forest. Um, you might want to stick a couple sticks straight up out of the hole, maybe even cross them so it like makes an X marks the spot kind of thing so other people won't accidentally dig up the hole or so you won't come back to your hole and try and dig it up again accidentally. Anyway, just a handy little tip for you there. Thanks. An after-the-fact cat hole. And we'll leave you today with a little trail wisdom from our good friend on the trail. William Penn, and this is from Some Fruits of Solitude from 1693. He said, It were happy if we studied nature more in natural things and acted according to nature, whose rules are few, plain, and most reasonable. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. You can order our most recent children's book, Backpacker ABCs, on Amazon or iTunes. We'll see you next time on the first 40 miles. Sven is from Sweden. Sven is from Minnesota. <laughs> I'm doing the Minnesota accent. Oh, nice. <laughs> is that what that is? Backpacking. Oh. Anyway, okay. French lesson Bing. is over.